Hello, everybody. This is Noah and John, and we are from Urban Digs. And Johnny, we are talking Manhattan today, legal edition extraordinaire. We got two powerhouses in one session. I love it. Over at Romer DeBoss, we got Pierre DeBoss, co-founder of Romer DeBoss, and we got Jonathan Helfer, who has always been a frequent guest on Talking Manhattan. And I'm sorry, Jonathan, I haven't had you on in a while, and I'm so excited. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm so excited that you're here now. Um, and, and we're going to get right to it, guys, um, because, you know, you guys are a powerhouse in the legal world um, over at Romer DeVos, and you see a lot of data and a lot of transactions. And that is the that is the the boots on the ground, what's happening right now in the streets. So we're going to start with you, Pierre. And Jonathan, I want you to follow right after this, but here's your first question is what is happening in the market today and how has it changed over the last 30, 60, 90 days? You know, you know, Noah, well, first of all, thanks for having both of us on. It's a lot of fun to do with you guys. Um, I always say, and the saying's probably, everybody's probably tired of hearing it, the world's upside down. Like, you know, nothing, nothing, nothing makes sense right now. We started off January, January, even in good times is always a slow, a slow month, right? Right. February and March were surprisingly like significant upticks, you know, even with what's going on with the Fed, what's going on with rates, you saw a significant uptick of business and transactions. And it was a huge step back in March. I mean, like a significant step back. And but what are you talk about what happened in March? Right. Let's let's just say it. We had three of the four largest bank collapses in U.S. history happened in the month of March. That's going to make anybody who's looking to take out a loan and buy a home or buy any property probably a little apprehensive, right? It's bad enough that we've had interest rates almost triple in a, leading up to 2023. And then you have this. They are related, though, right? Like, let's be honest. Uh, interest rates tripling is probably what drove these banks under, regardless of what you know some other people may, may think. But luckily now we're rounding out the first week of May, you know, right? This first week of May is over today. Um, and this week, John, you'd agree. I'm sure you agree with me. We saw a good uptick this week. So Absolutely. we're thinking, you know, maybe spring market starts a month later. You know, the Fed's telling people, you know, I'm sitting here with the journal, Fed boost rates to 16 year high is a headline. But in there, it's saying it's probably going to be the last rate increase. And that's giving people light at the end of the tunnel. So I think that, you know, we're going to start seeing a continuing upward trajectory now, as long as we don't have anything more, anything catastrophic take place in the next couple of weeks, the next couple of months. Yeah, Donovan, same question. Absolutely. You know, I agree with Pierre. I mean, the world has been crazy, particularly our market, uh, interest rates, everything else with all the volatility. The one thing I would say, and I think it's truly a testament to Manhattan real estate, right, is the second you have any stability in place, even if the interest rates are higher than they have been, but they level off slightly, people are always on the sidelines looking to transact. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what we've seen happen here. So, you know, you do. You have the uh, some of the banks have, unfortunately, we've had run into some issues with some of these lenders and some of these banks. However, the feds have stepped in. And the second people sit, see that the world's not ending, we've seen an uptick in, in transactions. So things are definitely all over the place. But I think they are looking up. Uh, I've seen a lot of positives. We've had a big uptick. And I think it's hopefully uh, really a sign of things to come. You know, yeah, John, I love your point, because if you remember when we were doing this in 08, the how the residential and housing market in the country plummeted probably by 50 percent in terms of valuations, if not more. And we had a foreclosure crisis around the, uh, across the country. Manhattan, our little 11 mile island or however long this island is, we had like a 10 percent reduction in pricing, zero foreclosures. Like your point, like it's basically like the, we're so insulated here. In our markets, like people look at it like gold, you know, it's 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 relatively one of the most stable assets in the world. 
Yeah, and I'm, and I'm glad you brought that point up too, because one of the things we've looked at from time to time is we look at the sensitivity of contract signings on interest rates. And that correlation is not as one-to-one as people would expect. It's actually less so. It's In, in fact, it's really nothing to write home about whatsoever. And uh, Jonathan, I completely agree with your point that that quick, sharp move in interest rates is less about the affordability aspect and more about the uncertainty aspect. And as soon as they level out, I mean, it's back to business as usual. And so Given that, and given Pierre's point about we've had some of the largest bank failures recently, and you know, Pacific Western was you know had some issues, so there's it, it doesn't seem like all all green signs, it's all green signs from here on out. And so I'm curious, you know, when buyers and you guys see so many deals crossing your desk, you see it from the low end to the ultra high end, and I'm curious, you know, it comes down to you know what those contracts are looking like. How what's negotiability looking like for buyers these days? Concessions, you know, if we can kind of talk about you know, what buyers and sellers are, are how they're getting to the deal these days. John, you want to take that one? Yeah, absolutely. You, you know, it, it's, it's, it's funny because people think with everything going on in the world right now, that sellers are giving huge concessions. And, and frankly, we're not seeing that across the board. Um, you know, one of the minor things contractually on the legal side, and I'm not going to tell you that it's changed. It's, it's now just become a little bit more prevalent. We haven't seen it really in place since 2008 are these funding contingencies which specifically speak to bank insolvency. So, hmm. you know, in the past decade plus, we're not talking about banks going under. That's it, it doesn't happen, right? It's an impossibility. Now that we've seen some things happen with the with these banks, with these big banks, um, you know, that's one thing that we're seeing added to these contracts that ha- has become somewhat more prevalent is if I'm a buyer, I want protection in case the lender that I'm using Okay, tomorrow I wake up and I find out they no longer exist and they can't give loans. That's not something that we've discussed probably honestly for the past 15 years. Aside from that, I mean, it's really ironic, but you're not seeing these major concessions. You're not seeing these monster price reductions. It's just not happening. Um, Sellers are still confident with the product that they're selling. Buyers are thinking and looking for these huge price reductions and other concessions. And I'm excluding new construction, you know, from this conversation. I'm talking generally resale market. Um, but no, I think there's been some leveling out in terms of compromises between buyers and sellers, but it's really not as extreme or drastic as you would think, given the news and everything that we're seeing you know, uh, on TV or reading about in the newspaper. It's not where I think people would expect it to be. Yeah. And Pierre, you have any thoughts on that? or No, I mean, he, he nailed it. He hit it spot on. You know, uh, yeah. we're like, we're lo- we're lucky that it's it's not showing anywhere near the severity the signs of severity that we saw in 08. Um, and don't get me wrong, I'm not yeah, yeah. you know where this what could this turn into or what we're dealing with. But I think relative to 08, you know, this is we're in a far better boat now. Yeah, I think 08 was a completely different world, and then today, um, you know, people make references to it, but it really is is not very similar. Um, uh, maybe maybe summer 07, maybe in a little respect, but not nearly 08. Um, and we look at the data, uh, the discount data that we have. I mean, it was at seven percent in 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 d- December, and that has been coming down. It's probably around four and a half, five percent now, if not a little lower, which is probably representing what you're seeing right now. So volume up, we're seeing that as well, even though it's come down a little bit since uh, early April. Um, discounts coming down, we're not seeing any mass fear. We're seeing a somewhat tight but rising supply environment also rising demand. I guess a question, Pierre, I want to start with you on this one. Um, are, are there any challenges 
Um, I know Jonathan was talking about one extra verbiage element that was going into contracts. Are there challenges or other challenges that um, brokers need to be made aware of? Any roadblocks that you're seeing that are happening with deals now that agents can, again, proactively try to avoid? That, that's a tough one. Um, that That's... Oh man, that's, 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 you could call a friend. You could pass it to John. Right. I mean, we do these. <laughs> yeah, John, what do you, what do you think, man? I don't gotta. Well, so I have to take this one on, you know, roadblocks that we're encountering. I mean, honestly, I, I, I would say nothing so much out of the ordinary, but the one thing I will say is we're just seeing these transactions have become a little bit more difficult. And what I mean by that is you're seeing buyers that are, somewhat more skittish just given everything you know the current the current environment and sellers who are still making the demand for what they think is appropriate in terms of what they should sell for and everything else so i i do think we're seeing a little bit more of i i'd say headbutting than normal mm -hmm. or than usual just because of what's happening but no not yeah not that's a okay. tough, tough question gotcha there's probably not a lot of roadblocks out there today. I mean, let me ask you another question. Let me ask you another, let me phrase it differently. Are you getting more pressure from the sell side to get a deal done as time goes on when you get going? Because, you know, time is a deal killer in this business. Um, or, or is the pressure coming from the buyers? Who's having the urgency on which side is it? That one, I'll, I'll tell you, and it's it's been interesting. And this has been more of a, a recent phenomenon. And that's, we are, everything on my desk right now, it's, this has to be signed in two days or we're going to buyer number two, or it's sitting on my desk for two weeks. There is no middle ground. It's yeah. you need hmm. to do this right now, or you are losing out on this deal or these deals drag out and drag out and eventually get signed two weeks later. Um, and that's been more of a, a very recent occurrence uh, more so than in the past. So it, it's two extremes right now. Uh, one more question. This. I'll tell yeah. you this. No, let me jump in before you go on. Uh, we yeah. got a deal in on Tuesday for over $50 million we had to turn it around by end of day today. Like that shows you like it, it doesn't, you know, how many people are sitting online with 50 plus million dollars right now? You know, like right. not, it doesn't make, it, there's no rhyme or reason. We saw the high end market pick up quicker than I like, and I always refer to this demographic as semi-normal people in New York City who buy between one to $3 million, right? Anywhere else in the world, you're rich. Um, you know, that market's slower than the high end market mainly because it's cash, but that's a great example. Four days to turn around a $50 million deal wow. in the middle of a recession, basically. Yeah, and that's yeah. interesting. And one of the things we've seen actually on the rental side is when we've been looking at year-over-year -year increases in rents. I mean, rents are probably going to be setting new highs over the summer, but when you look at the ultra-luxury ones, it seems like the rate of increase increases as that rate goes up. And it seems like that's something that's affecting the luxury market in general. Just as prices go up, there seems to be a, a smaller buying pool even a, a, a larger buying pool competing for a smaller dwindling number of properties. But I, I want to shift because I think you guys brought up something really interesting and that's, you know, you got a lot of stuff on your, on your desk right now. And I remember Jonathan, I think we last talked, it, it must've been early COVID and it seemed like in the legal sphere in Manhattan, there was a lot of conge congeniality in trying to understand these new risks, codify them, you know, put them into contracts. So people could have some certainty going forward. And I'm curious, you know, now that we're sort of past that point, is that congeniality still uh, in the legal profession right now in terms of the real estate lawyers in New York? In terms of uh, what I would call COVID provisions or, or right, COVID like provisions, just kind of, it, it seemed like you guys were all kind of getting together and, and teaming up to kind of, you know, push, push the work forward. And I'm curious how that's, how that ended up. Yeah. Look, and I would say, you know, and, and, and Pierre, 
correct me if you think I'm wrong here. I, I think even pre-COVID, before the world was ending, um, I, I think there's always been this camaraderie between all of our firms, those of us who are just in this industry where we focus on this area of practice. Uh, I, I think for the most part, you know, we see each other as colleagues. Uh, we've always worked together to help one another. Uh, I don't view, you know, my colleagues in this industry, and I don't think others do as competitors. Um, you know, we're really, we're part of the same industry. There's frankly enough business to go around for all of us. Um, and I think to the extent we can, obviously, look, we represent the, the interests of our respective clients, but at the same time, yes, in terms of collaborating on, on provisions and changes in the law, and especially when there's changes in the circumstances and, and the environment we live in, I, I think for the most part, we all do try to work together as a, you know, collective team to get things done. Absolutely. And that has not yeah. changed. And that's nice to hear. Yeah. Jonathan, uh, how, how long is it taken to close deals these days? About five days? Still still the norm? To get deals and contract? Yeah. Generally yeah, speaking. Uh, generally speaking, five days. Yes. Unless okay. we have so, these circumstances where, again, the due diligence needs to be done uh, the same day and you have to sign a contract tomorrow. But yes, generally speaking, around five okay. days. So if you are a buyer and you signed a contract and you're waiting for that countersign from that seller, um, how many days passes until you start to get worried and need to go put some pressure on? Frankly, I'd say, you know, really no more than one to two days. Um, we live in a world where everything's done electronically. There is no reason why it can't be done the same day. Or look, sometimes people are traveling the next day. But once you get beyond that, I, I think buyers do uh, start to get concerned. Okay. And and financing contingencies, is that happening in today's markets? Absolutely. No, I, no, fi no financing no contingencies, financing, I should right. say. Sorry. Also happening because we yeah. still have where you have multiple offers and you know the only way you can get a leg up is to waive your financing contingency so we're still seeing that as well yeah and, and how i'm sorry i'm rapid firing you now <laughs> how how frequent is multiple offer situations is it is it like a, ah, every 10 percent, every 20 percent, every 30 how how often are you seeing it out there it, it, i wouldn't say it's so frequent um but we are seeing a bit more of it now uh, but still maybe one out of every you know 10 deals OK, um, or at least we're being told there's multiple offers and we have a lot of pressure to get these contracts turned around quicker than usual. Gotcha. I'm done. I got all the information I need. John, you well, got any last questions? I just here? want to chime in on the new dev sector. I'm curious what you're looking what, what it looks like from that new dev perspective. And if there's if, if developers are giving anything away in terms of concessions to kind of move product at this point. You know, this, yeah. sorry, John, you want to, you want to take it? No, care? no, go ahead, go ahead. You know, the crazy thing, John, is that there's not a lot of new dev going on in Manhattan. There's not many projects. So, you know, depending, you know, it's, it's, it, I want to say some projects are not giving much at all because they don't have much competition where other sales have slowed, you know, like mm -hmm. it, it really depends on the details or how, how unique the project is. Um, but I think that's going to be a big problem in our market when you're looking, you know, the next couple of years is that there's no, there's not any development taking place in Manhattan and we're already at, a, we're already at a low supply level. You know, we, we need to get development happening somehow. Jonathan? Yeah, and I would say it's very specific, like Pierre said, to the actual development. So you have some developments where it's, no, you know, these things we feel as though uh, they're going to move off the shelves and we're not giving you any concessions. And the buildings that are giving concessions that have some units that are just sitting there, I mean, the concessions are extreme. It's, you know, we're seeing transfer taxes, mansion tax, resident manager's contribution, uh, parking space, storage. It's, we need to move this and we're going to work with you to move it, but it really does go both ways. And it's very specific mm -hmm. to that particular development. 
Yeah, that is super interesting. Um, last question. You seeing any difference between Manhattan or Brooklyn, or are they both kind of uh, acting in par? It's a good question. I would say, you know, from our perspective, not much of a different difference at this point. They're they're both moving pretty much um, at the same pace. Okay. Yeah, it's yeah. a tough question. Cool. All right. This has been fantastic. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jonathan Helfer. Thank you for joining <laughs> us after so long. You look beautiful. You look great. You look strong. And, and listen, you know, you you want a responsive attorney, competent. I mean, he was my go-to when I was transactioning. And I thank you. You even told some clients mine to, to go away and and because it, it was the wrong situation. And, and you know, that's what you get. Thank you so much. Pierre DeBoss right over there, managing and co-founder of Romer DeBoss. You can find both of them over at Romer DeBoss. Thank you guys so much. That is John Walkup. I am Noah Rosenblatt. This has been Talking Manhattan, and we'll catch you next time.